This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eric Francis Show. I'm Eric Francis. Two great guests again today. David Amber is going to join us from Hockey Night Canada. Second half, it'll be Rick Ball, your musical guest, weighing in on all things Nashville. Saw him just an hour ago down at the rink. Markstrom is your starter tonight. No Palche, no Connor Mackey. The angst continues for Flames fans who are dying to see this guy in the lineup, but they keep uh, keep picking up points. It's points in five games in a row for the Calgary Flames. No need to make any lineup changes as long as nobody is injured is the way I look at it. But uh, we'll get to the thoughts of Rick Ball on the Flames. And I also want to bring on our first guest uh, on the Atlas Pizza Hotline, David Amber. How are you, my friend? Eric, how you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, my man. Oh, we can't say that anymore, can we? Is it, What is today, the 16th? <laughs> I take it all the way into February. <laughs> Just keep running with it. I don't know. Listen, you would. I, Eric, I, need a, I don't smoke, but I feel like I need a cigarette after watching that Jim Rutherford news conference. I don't know if you saw it. My goodness. I got to be honest, I'm in Nashville, and, and it was, certainly wasn't live on uh, Sportsnet down here. Uh, oh, I, boy. I, I did get us up to speed on it. I was going to go there with you and just ask about the, the nightmare that is the Vancouver situation. What did you hear? Oh, my God. I, I mean, I, I can't do it justice. Uh, I mean, he dug in. It started out with a, a, a news conference called by the Canucks to address the whole Tanner Pearson controversy about, you know, his, his surgery that's gone wrong on his hand, apparently, and he couldn't mm-hmm. give much specifics about that. He was flanked by the team doctors, and they essentially defended, uh, you know, the, the procedures that happened to Tanner Pearson, who was originally expected to be out four to six weeks. But uh, now it looks like his season is done, so something went dramatically wrong, oh. uh, surgery that took place back in November. So that was, the, that was the initial reason. But, you know, you had Jim Rutherford there, the president of Hockey Ops, and it was open field. Ask me what you want to ask me. So if you were asking about the team, about Horvath's contract, about Bruce Boudreaux's future, I, I honestly will not be able to do it justice, uh, relaying what he said, but I strongly, strongly, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're a radio host in Calgary, but this is the day to be a radio host in Vancouver because <laughs> you're going to have about a month's worth. Uh, honestly, I mean, how many news conferences have you been to and, and watched? Now, I'm talking hundreds. You know, you've been doing this for a long time, as have I. Uh, this one was special. The line of the night was, you know, one of the guys said, well, you know, first of all, they asked about rebuilding. He said, well, I don't want to call it a rebuild. I think we need to retool. But, you know, I, I'm upset with the job I've done. I came in here thinking we needed minor surgery. We need major, major surgery. So he was very frank and, and, and wow. you know, forthright about things. But it got it, the line of the night to me or the day was um, <laughs> someone said, you know, it's, it's a special draft, and you, you're such a long shot to make the playoffs. Shouldn't your team be tanking? And he looks out and he goes, I thought we were tanking. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. Oh, my God. I was like, wow. Uh, I mean, he's like, we're near the bottom of the standings. I thought we were tanking. And I, someone's got to get the T-shirt with, I thought we were tanking. Uh, that is a good, it. yes, a great T-shirt. That is hilarious. Well, it's and, not such a, there was a lot more. Not, I mean, I can go on for your whole show on, on the stuff here, but it went on and on and on about the, the, where the, where the, the state of the union, and it was ugly. They really should be a whole lot better, right? I mean, on paper, for this is two years in a row, where on paper I still thought they were going to bounce back this year. Did you not think the same thing? A hundred percent. I mean, there was a lot of optimism. I was, I'll be honest with you, I mean, this isn't 2020 hindsight. I was, I was concerned that they didn't really address the blue line at all. 
They went out and got Mikheyev. They went out and got Kuzmenko, who's been a good signing. They they, they tinkered with their uh, support group up front, which was fine, but they ignored the elephant in the room, which was a blue line that everyone had been very critical of for, for some time. So that did concern me. But if Demko were Demko, uh, I still thought, you know, with their individual parts, they were in great shape. And he alluded to that, too. He said, look, we have a bunch of great individual players, but do we have a great team? When's the, you know, what a team does is they fight hard and they'll, they'll win at all costs. Do we have that kind of team? He was really... You know, without calling out individuals, he was calling out the whole team, uh, you know, together and, and really questioning, you know, what he has there. And he made the point of saying, look, we have a bunch of great core players, but I can tell you they're not all going to be back. Like, he was he was very forthright. And then, you know, someone asked if he'd reached out to talk to head coaches. There's all these reports that Rick Tockett, you heard Elliot Freeman on Saturday night saying Rick Tockett's basically half the job and it's just a matter of time. And he didn't get into talking specifically, but he said, yes, I've talked to some people about the position, you know, but in a theoretical, not saying we're making a move, but just wondering about, you know, their situation and stuff. So it was pretty forthright. It was very interesting. And it was a, a media uh, member's dream, uh, you know, 35, 40 minutes of Jim Rutherford just answering questions. Wow. Uh, we're talking to David Amber. And, and th- this is, of course, a Calgary radio show. I know you know that. And people in Calgary love seeing a, a tire fire in Vancouver. But that, that was this club's <laughs> biggest rival for a lot of years. Now they're irrelevant in, in Calgarians' eyes. But what, can I just ask you one follow-up on Horvat? What was his response when people asked him about his contract situation and or the possibility he'll get traded at the deadline? Another fantastic uh, Q&A and the answers. He said, look, we've made our best, essentially we've made our best and final offer to Bo Horvat. And he said it was very... Um, I can't remember the word, whether it was reasonable or, or a, a good offer, but he said based on what Horvath's doing this year, he goes he would it would be under market. So he's acknowledging, you know, Horvath's gonna on pace for sixty goals, right? A guy who's never yeah. scored more than thirty one goals. Like he's like, We offered him something as the guy he's been there for whatever it is, seven, eight years, you know, twenty five to thirty goal score, and he wants to maybe get paid like a fifty goal score and we're not we're not doing that. We We've given up our best that we can give up. So he made it pretty clear. Um, they've made their, their – he didn't say we're trading him or anything like that. He basically just said, look, we've offered him. We gave him what we think is our best and last offer. So that was some news there as well. And, um, you know, he really does – you know, he's basically made it clear that they're, they're open to move some things and they're going to be very active uh, in the next, you know, weeks leading up to March 3rd. And he also just made it clear – the number one priority for them is getting some cap flexibility and, uh, and they don't have cap flexibility. A number of teams don't, but he says, you know, at the end of the year, if we're going to have to buy out some pieces, we're going to buy out some pieces. So I can't wait for Wednesday night when Vancouver's back on the ice. Like I want to know how does the team respond, right? I got to ask, Oh, I have a Rogers Monday night hockey tonight, Eric. And it's going to be, I can ask Keith Yandel, Lance Carter, like you guys are players. You hear your president of hockey, obviously say he's blowing this thing up. He's getting rid of guys and he's, you know, he thought you guys were tanking. That's how poorly you played. Like, how does the team respond? Do they, does it galvanize them? Do they do a Bruce there it is run for the next three weeks to try to get back in the playoff run? Or do they just get blown out? You know, or do they just, that's it. They wave the white flag and we're done. I, I don't know. I can't wait. Really. Yeah. It, it is a fantastic theater. And uh, for mm-hmm. the most definitive column summing up the craziness that happened today, go to sportsnet.ca. Ian McIntyre, one of the best in the business. We'll no doubt sum this thing up brilliantly and uh, 
and have everybody, uh, you know, up to speed on exactly what it all means because that is a, there's a lot to unpack after a, a press conference like that. It's kind of a writer's nightmare, I can tell you, because you're like, well, what's the biggest story? Like, you know, that great line that he had about, I thought we were tanking, or is it the <laughs> fact that he's admitting, you know, Horvat's all but gone? Like, it, it, it just, it's so delicious as a, as a viewer, especially if it's not your team. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, listen, if you're not a Canucks fan, you were just lapping that up. And I'm a fan of all the teams. I would love any Canadian team to win the cup and make some deep run. It would be so good for us, uh, you know, uh, in our situation over at Sportsnet, when you have so much hockey, it would be a, a fantastic thing. So I actually tweeted out, someone's got to make a t-shirt. I thought we were tanking. Like, this is a million dollar idea. And of course, yeah. Twitter has gone to work, and someone just put into my timeline a, a thought. I thought we were tanking uh, T-shirt, which I've retweeted. So <laughs> you can see, like it's it's people are gonna be talking about this for a while. Like it was, it was just very, very uh, raw, real. It was Brian Burke-esque. You know what I mean? Just like there was, it was it was great theater as you described, and yeah, um, you know he's frustrated. It was it wasn't meant to be a comedy skit. It just. It was like, wow, you know, it wasn't avoiding questions. He's like, in fact, at a certain time, the PR guy said, okay, one or two more questions. He said, no, 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 I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> oh, wow. The PR guy, like, yeah, which, which I think is great. And, and kudos to Jim Rutherford, right? Like, it's been a complete mess. Some of it he's caused. Uh, and he took, he said he's really upset with his personal performance and he wants to see this through. And, like, he's taking some accountability and he certainly is ready to, to make some of the players accountable and his coach. So, uh, there's enough blame to go around, but it was it was it was compelling to watch. Okay, we're talking to David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada, and and the main reason I wanted to get you on today is because I'm fascinated. You know, I've been on this long road trip with the Calgary Flames. They play tonight here in Nashville, and uh, but I'm always interested to hear the view from thirty thousand feet. You know, from three thousand kilometers away on your seat on Hockey Night in Canada. How do you perceive this Calgary Flames team as it is right now? All right, well, first of all, don't think I didn't catch that. I, I went on this long road trip with Calgary. We happened to be in Nashville. You missed the ones where it's like, all right, we're going to Winnipeg and the mini. Uh, Eric, yeah. I, got, you know, I, got, I got a lot of work to do here in Calgary. <laughs> you go to Nashville, Eric's like, hey, sign me up. Um, I've been I've been doing this a long time. I pick my road trips very very wisely. Yes, you. Yeah, not, right. yeah I'm glad you're you noticed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I, I almost – it's not what Vancouver is, but I would say the overall Calgary has underwhelmed me. I just, I, listen, I picked them to go to the Stanley Cup final. doesn't mean they won't um, uh, because they have been playing better of late, but I just, I thought again, the, the sum of the parts wasn't as good as the individual parts. I really looked at them on paper as being a team that's probably improved. Uh, and to this point, you know, and I, and I remember you going on a pregame show last week with Ryan Leslie and saying, you know, Forget about this whole sky is falling notion. They're kind of close to where they were last year. So maybe you're right. Maybe it just hasn't looked and felt the same. I thought this was a team sort of fighting a bit for to find its identity, and, and slowly it seems to be finding its way now. Um, because I love Calgary. I Like I said, I picked them to win the West. And, um, you know, they'd have some work to do now to, to be in that position. Um, but they're looking better of late. And I think if they get back to their core of what they do best, and that's to be a team that's very difficult to play against, that's their identity. They'll grind you out, and they can win 2-1 games or win 5-4 games. Um, Then that's a good thing. So I think they're slowly finding their way towards that, Eric. Um, But to date, it's been a little bit underwhelming, and maybe a big part of that is 
just like in Vancouver, not getting the, the performance from Demko this year. You know, Markstrom, by all accounts, hasn't been the Jacob Markstrom that we've come to expect over the last few years. Okay, interesting. And, and I and I don't. Uh, there's no wrong answer. I, I just wanted to hear what the view is from outside of our marketplace. And 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 I think that even inside the marketplace, because they've had such such a bad record in overtime and shootouts, they're three and tw- three and nine when it gets to extra time. Mm. And those That's are true. huge points that they've squandered. You know, if you if you win even half of those, get three more points, then you're only like two points behind LA. I think three points out of the first place in the division. Like they're right there. They've got points in five in a row, points in mm-hmm. 17 of their last 21. But again, because a lot of those points have been squandered in overtime or in shootouts, there's this real, uh, you know, negativity surrounding the team. But I really do think you nailed it. They have, they're turning it around. Like they're, they're trending, as the kids say. You know, they really, really are looking a lot better. And you know, I trotted out a stat on the on the broadcast on Saturday. That just I didn't even I, I've been covering this league for over a quarter century. I didn't even know they tracked uh, goalposts and, and crossbars. Did you know that? They, they, I, 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 uh, no I didn't know that. Or did are you going to tell me they lead the league in goalposts and crossbars? Yeah, they 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 moved ahead of Florida and Washington. They were tied going into the weekend, but they have forty nine. You know, uh, crossbars and posts. Tyler Toffoli leads the league with four crossbars. Like, anyway, obscure oh. stats, and we're getting way into the weeds. But the point is, they've been that close. And with mm-hmm. one or two overtime wins, and I think the perception of this team is significantly different. So uh, I wanted to ask you about another guy on the team is Rasmus Anderson. And I had an interesting chat with uh, Al McKinnis when we were in St. Louis earlier this week, and he said that Rasmus Anderson reminded him a lot of himself in that uh, skating might not be his absolute forte, but he finds a way to run the power play. He's got a big, big shot, and uh, he just makes smart play. Anyway, he just thinks he's he's a similar type player. That's that's some pretty heady, uh, heady stuff from a Hall of Famer, and uh, Rasmus Anderson was pretty – he was flattered. What is your thought on Rasmus Anderson? Because to me, he is starting to approach becoming one of the – I won't use the word elite – but, you know, he's fifth right now in total ice time in the National Hockey League, and the four guys ahead of him all have Norris trophies. So how would you describe where you think Rasmus Anderson sits? Well, for starters, Eric, I think you made a good point about the Flames, and I wasn't trying to be hypercritical. It's that, you know, they have had some games slip away. That 3-1 lead against St. Louis, they lost in overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, games like that where I just go, Stanley Cup caliber teams – you know, they, they put the foot down on those teams, and, and I haven't yeah. seen that as much, that killer instinct that you'd like to see. So just to put a bow on that, Rasmus Anderson, I've had nothing but great things to say about this guy. And, you know, having Kelly Rudy last year really kept pointing out, wow, this guy's fantastic, you know. And, and I'd be watching the little nuances of his game. But I think I think you described it really well. He can power play the – he can – sorry, quarterback the power play. He has an incredibly hard shot. He has a really good instinct of when to rush up on the play and get involved offensively, but he doesn't ever compromise his defensive play. And he's tough as nails. He plays hard, which I think, again, fits in perfectly, you know, with the Daryl Sutter team and with, you know, playing alongside guys like Chris Tanev. You know, like, if that's going to be the identity of this team is, oh, man, they're going to grind us out. And that's essentially part of what went down, uh, you know, in that seven-game series uh, versus Dallas last year, a lot, part of it was that I think they were just grinding them down. And, and Jake Ottinger was Jake Ottinger. But guys like Anderson are very good at getting the puck out of their zone, up to the forwards, let them do their thing, and jump in on the attack when the opportunity allows. I think he's a great player. I think, you know, 
if there was a different all-star structure, he's an all-star caliber player. And I think some of those underlying numbers that you just pointed out speak to that. So he's one of the biggest uh, bright spots on this Flames team for sure. All right, good. Uh, listen, I know you, your time is short today. you got to run. I appreciate you joining us, but uh, just a couple more. Uh, sure. People, our younger listeners wouldn't know this because it's been quite a while, but you spent some time in Calgary as you were moving up the ranks as a reporter with TSN. Tell me what you remember. Uh, tell me about your time here and, and what you remember, uh, what stuck with you as you moved through Calgary on the way to uh, superstardom. <laughs> so, so is this a trick question to get me to talk about your field goal? This is what this is about. <laughs> I know, I know where you're going, and I'm sure you brought it up. You probably bring it up on your show weekly, so I don't need to remind your your listeners. But um, I had forgotten yeah, no, about was, that. But thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's like Brian Burke with the Sedin twins. What I drafted them? Oh, okay. Um, I was in Cal. It was short. I, it was one of the the best calls I ever received, and you know, and I've been doing this like you for for. 25 years now and I was uh, in my first TV job was in Sault Ste. Marie and I'll never forget it it was like a, a Tuesday morning at about 8 30 in the morning I'd been in Sault Ste. Marie and I was a news reporter but I got to do some sports it was a fun year to be out there because Joe Thornton it was his draft year blah blah blah, blah. so it was I was learning I was still learning 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 but I but I kind of I interned at TSN for a little while um, before I went out to Sault Ste. Marie so I was familiar with some of the, the people out there and I got a call, and it was Keith Pelly, who was, at the time was the head of TSN, ended up being the head at Sportsnet years later. But at the time, he was the head of TSN Sports. And he, uh, he called, basically, and said, hey, uh, how would you like to be our new um, uh, you know, field reporter out in Calgary? And I literally thought it was a buddy playing it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Who's this yeah. I, was like, I thought it was one of my buddies. like, uh, this is Keith Pelly. <laughs> oh, my God, really? I was overwhelmed. You know, I, was, I replaced the great Lisa Bose, who had been a, a great reporter out there in Calgary, and she was kind enough to sort of show me the ropes. And it was a really exciting time. I came out there, and the Stampeders were very good with Jeff Garcia and Vince Danielson and uh, a bunch of really good players there. Uh, was it Alondra Johnson? Is that right? I get the name right? Alan Pitts. Yeah, you got it right. Marvin yeah, Pitts. middle linebacker. Yeah, they had a really good team. So had, that was fun. And at the same time, it was a different time for the Flames. Actually, Brian Sutter was the head coach, and uh, – and that wasn't always mm-hmm. easy, but, <laughs> but you know, Theo Fleury yeah. was there. And, of course, uh, Jerome McGinley was in his second year. It was an exciting time. And for me, it was just like, wow, I'm, I'm like, this is my dream. I'm covering professional sports. I can't believe it. They're paying me to do this. This is unbelievable. And Calgary as a city was very nice, very welcoming. I, I learned really quickly. I'll tell you one thing really quickly here. Uh, for the first two months I was in Calgary, oh, where are you from? You're new around here. Oh, I'm from Toronto. And then that would be a conversation end or people just walk away from you or shake their head. Yeah. <laughs> Then after about two months, I'm like, I'm going to stop telling people I'm from Toronto. They're like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Lethbridge. Oh, well, welcome to the big smoke. You know, welcome to the city. You know, you'll be okay here. And I'm like, people are much nicer yeah. to me once I start telling them I'm from Lethbridge and not Toronto. So uh, it worked out well. I really had a good time. And, and the people were great. And it's a good sports town. And, um, you know, I have a fun spot in it for sure. And one of the highlights, I'll leave you with this, is, um, I, I got a chance to go down. It was before the Nagano Olympics in 98. I had a chance to go down the bobsled track with the bobsledders, the Pierre Luters, Dave uh, McEachern, and, and that whole crew. I think yeah. they winning gold. I don't even remember. But well, it was very cool. It was scary as hell, but it was very cool. So that's one of the fond memories I have of being a, a Calgary reporter at the time. Yeah, the G-forces are pretty amazing. I, I, I remember getting <laughs> off doing one of those runs with those guys, and you want to vomit. It's it's quite uh, violent yeah. the way it shakes you around. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you weren't. yours was as smooth as butter, and you didn't hit the sides at all, <laughs> and you felt great about it. 
<laughs> All right, my man. Listen, I know you got to run. Uh, we'll do this again sometime soon, though, because I want to get into a bunch of other stuff in terms of your time in Calgary. And uh, and, uh, and I also want to talk about our, our golf game we had in the summer in Calgary. That, that's a, a really fun conversation as well. <laughs> yeah, get me back on soon. I'm sorry, I got to cut this one a little bit short, but uh, yes, and we're not talking about that golf game. But but yeah, no, good uh, good to hear from you, Eric, and I'll be uh, excited watching the game tonight. Okay, my man, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay, there there he is, David Amber, brought to you uh, brought to us on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, 14 uh, time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. Um, our second half guest is going to be Rick Ball, but uh, we've got a couple of minutes before we go to break here. And it's funny that Dave talks about the field goal that I kicked, and most people listening would have no idea what what he's talking about. But it's a story that I don't think I've ever told on this in this space. So I'm just going to tell it very briefly because it is very funny, and it was a very unique situation. Uh, it was 1997. The Calgary uh, Stampeders had a contest where they bring a fan onto the field and they got a chance to kick a field goal. It was from the 40-yard line, but it was from the sideline, not the hash marks, the sideline. So it was equivalent to a 48 yards. Well, every week someone would get drawn out of a hat from sport check and they'd have a week to prepare and then they'd kick it with their toe and it would go four yards and the crowd would boo them. I was having a drink with the owner of the Stampeders at the time, Sig Gucci, and I said, you know, I never kicked a football in my life, but I was, you know, I played some pretty good level soccer. Why don't I try that field goal? We'll have some fun with it. I'll hype it up in my column. And then, hey, if I make it, you know, I'll donate the money to charity or something or whatever. It was for $50,000. And uh, so he he said, yeah, let me think about that. So anyway, he calls me a couple days later. He says, okay, here's the deal. You're going to kick on behalf of the fan if they miss. Assuming the fan misses, then you go kick on their behalf. And we'll figure out where the money goes and all this. But, uh, you know, so what we decided was, $25,000 $25,000 would go to the fan and 25 would go to a charity that we started uh, in the name of the Calgary Stampeders. Anyway, long story short, it's a Saturday morning. The Calgary Stampeders are playing the BC Lions. I step up. I hadn't been home that night. It was a pretty fun night uh, at a keg party of some sort. This is 1997 again. Remember, I'm old. And uh, I'm wearing the shoes that I painted my house with that summer. And uh, I get out there. And uh, live on TSN, I nail a 48-yard field goal, <laughs> like an absolute miracle. I win $50,000. We divvy up the money to the fan and to the charity. I end up getting a tax receipt for half of, you know, for the 25 grand that went to charity. And I bought myself a, a 10-person hot tub in my backyard, which was a ton of fun for a lot of years when I lived in, in our little ultimate bachelor pad, me and a couple buddies. Anyway, I parlayed it into a, a tryout with the uh, – Hamilton Tiger Cats, as a journalist, of course. I went and played for Ron Lancaster in 1998, went to training camp, told Ron, look, all I'm asking is you let me play in, in at least one game. Let me kick at least once uh, and 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 treat me like a, like anyone. If I'm terrible, cut me. If I miss curfew, uh, cut me. Uh, you know, whatever the case may be, just I just want to be treated like normal, and I'm going to write about it every single day without the players knowing. Again, in 1998, there wasn't any internet. So <laughs> the, the players didn't know <clears throat> what I was doing, that I was writing every day for the Calgary Sun newspaper. And I ended up playing in one game, uh, played against uh, Doug Flutie and the Toronto Argonauts, and I kicked, a, I kicked an extra point. Unfortunately, the Ticats were terrible at that point in time, and uh, I, I, the only chance I got to kick really in the second game was uh, an extra point. 
Uh, and then after the game, that was our second and final preseason game. Ron Lancaster was coming up to me, you know, to cut me. And uh, as we had kind of discussed, and I went up to him and I said, listen, don't say another word. I thank you so much for everything, but I've decided I'm going to retire. <laughs> I wanted to leave the game on my terms and uh, Lancaster chuckled. He thought that was funny. And, uh, and I still laugh and joke about the fact that uh, I, uh, I still have to this day, the highest kicking percentage in CFL history, uh, one for one, although you won't find it in any record books because it was in the preseason. But anyway, a funny story. And David Amber was the sideline reporter when I won that $50,000. And uh, and he interviewed me uh, live on TSN afterwards. And it is a great photo. He's got tons of hair. So did I at the time. And uh, we laugh about that all the time. Who knew we'd work together years later at Sportsnet. Anyway, there's my field goal story. I promise I won't tell it again. But uh, I do tell it every once in a while when I do see David because we both chuckle about how ridiculous that whole situation was. All right, the Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a $312 million positive impact on Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. Please play responsibly. We'll be back with Rick Ball just after this break. You're listening to Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Okay, we're back. The Eric Francis show continues. Thanks to David Amber for the uh, first half. I am always interested in seeing how a team is perceived from afar because sometimes we get too, too into the weeds, too close to it. Like anyone who watched that Flames game on Saturday, if you saw it, you're full of angst and you're like, how how can they surrender four straight goals and turn a six one game into a six five win? Like they made it way closer than it needed to be. However, if you didn't watch the game. And you just saw the final score. You're like, oh, good. They, that's actually a good win. They, they beat Dallas in Dallas. Dallas is one of the better teams. That's pretty impressive. But the, uh, the process was, a, was an interesting one on Saturday for sure. But that's points for five straight games for the Calgary Flames. Uh, they're on a significant roll, I would say. Dotted with some, some disappointing losses in overtime and shootouts. And losses to Chicago really hurt the psyche if you're a Flames fan. But at the end of the day, Points in 17 of 21 games. That's pretty impressive. The stat is that since December 3rd, only one team has more points than the Calgary Flames. That's the Winnipeg Jets. That's a pretty good run, if you ask me. Okay, we're going to the Atlas Pizza Hotline again. To our good buddy, Rick Ball. How are you, my friend, Rick? Eric, terrific. I uh, I appreciate getting jiggy with the two in the background. It's my theme song. Well, I realize that, right? Uh, that is your theme song? That's well, it is now. <laughs> That's your walk-on music. That's my walk-on music. <laughs> I I do like that song. Uh, okay, let's start there. Music. We're in Nashville. Um, yeah. I know Brennan Parker, Danny Austin, and I. We certainly uh, did our part to help the local economy and and see as much live music as possible on Saturday night. What what how what sort of um, regimen do you go through when you're here in a place like Nashville because it's pretty well documented you're a music guy you love you love talented musicians what do you take in a lot of the music here yeah I do I'm not I'm not a huge country music fan but you know it's Nashville when in Rome as they say so I like to frequent the honky tonks a little bit just to check out Mm -hmm. the uh, the scene I used to love going to BB King's which is a blues bar which was on second avenue I believe Um, but remember that lunatic a few years ago set up a car bomb in Nashville uh, that's uh, right. That, 
yeah, BB King's got damaged, and they've never reopened between that and COVID. They've shut down, so that's a, obviously not going to happen anymore. <laughs> but you know, we went to one of the one of the honky tonks on Broadway uh, yesterday, fairly early in the day, like the football game was still on, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a great band. It was on the very top floor that was doing rock covers, like they went from Elton John to Led Zeppelin. Um, I don't think they played any kind. They played Charlie Daniels' "Devil Went Down to Georgia." Was the one country song they played. Um, and they were just terrific. I had a nice chat with the guy. Because one thing they do here in Nashville is the band, one of the members of the band will come out, you know, two or three times during a set with a bucket, and you, that's where you give them your tips, right? They basically work for tips. They don't get paid by the bar, so that's the only income mm-hmm. they get. Um, yeah. So I always tip, especially if it's a band I like, because I appreciate the amount of work that goes into being half-decent at it. Um, and they were great. The funny part, I'm a big Steely Dan fan. You're not going to find a lot of Steely Dan music at these no. at the hockey tons. correct. But Ryan yeah. Leslie made a joke to the guys. I gave him some money that uh, I'd appreciate hearing some Steely Dan. And they actually, at one point, they were stopped between songs. And I heard them were trying to work out the chords for Pretzel Logic, <laughs> which is a great Steely Dan blues <laughs> song. Um, but I could, it, it's, it's a pretty straightforward song, but there are some slash chords in the bridge. It's, so you got to kind of know where it's going to play it uh, through the bridge. And they, I could tell they didn't have time to figure it all out. So they never played it. But I, actually went up and said, hey, I heard you working through uh, of Logic, and the guy laughed. He goes, yeah, and I, I said, I appreciate the effort. They never wound up playing it, though. But that's the kind of musicianship you see here in a place like this. Like, it crosses all genres. They have terrific players. Every bar you walk into, you're listening to somebody who really knows what they're doing, um, you know, playing music. So it's a fun experience. I Like I said, even though I'm not a big country music guy, I still love coming to Nashville, and I've never been disappointed when I've, you know, headed out in the town and and saw some live performances. You know, and I would say that for the first, I don't know, 20 years of living in Calgary, I I would say I tolerated country music during Stampede, you know, time and a place, and sure, it was fine, but it wasn't my cup of tea. It was when I came to Nashville seven or eight years ago for the first time that I fell in love with country music. But country music is very hard to find – not hard to find, but it's not as commonplace as you would think it would be. I mean, there are what? How many bars? How many floors on each bar? Like, there have got to be, you know, upwards of 50 or 60 bands playing at the same time at any given time here in Nashville. And when you're here, yeah. you just meander in and out of them going up to the different floors until you find one that is your jam. And they largely are playing just covers of rock songs. And, you know, I found a great one too the other night with Led Zeppelin and all these guys. It was just blew my mind. Um, it's not really about country music here anymore. It's just about whatever the people want, they get. And that's an interesting story. You say that they kind of thought about playing that. They all have this technology, this app, where they can see the words and the chords and even the drum beats and everything to every song. So I've had people, I've been in bars where people are just doing whatever they can to stump the bar, to stump the band. And yeah. Put 20, 40, 60 bucks in and they'll do it. They'll do it. It may not be perfect, but it's going to be close. And so you're right. Well, They're incredible musicians. All, it's just incredible. All they experience. need is one guy in the band to know the song, basically, right? Yeah. Um, there's, there's something called the Nashville numbering method. Um, it's I don't want to get too far down the wormhole of music theory, but it's basically um, every chord in a key has a number. And all they do, as I say, we're playing this in the key of G, and the guy says it's a one five six four or whatever progression, right? Which is a pretty standard one. But what they just shut out the number, and they, they automatically know in that key that's this chord, it's minor, major, whatever. And uh, they're so good at it, and they do it so much that you can play a song you've never heard before. If you're the bass player, 
as long as you follow along with what chord changes that the uh, you know the guitar player is shouting out during the course of the song. That's all it takes, and I've seen it happen I many times. It. It's really impressive. Yeah, that takes a lot of talent to be able to do that and pull it off, right? So uh, we can all do mm-hmm. it and, and sort of muddle our way through it, but to hear it done at a high level is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty incredible. We're talking to Rick Ball. We're in Nashville. The Flames play tonight against the Predators, and uh, Jacob Markstrom is your starter tonight. I think you're going to see Jacob for quite a run here. I asked Sutter on Saturday if, you know, Vladar's back-to-back wins. He's he's 7-0-1 in his last 10, Vladar's. If that made him, you know, pause for making before making his goaltending decisions, he said, nope, nope, it was an afternoon game. That's why I got the start, and now Marky's going to go on a nice little run here. So those people who are screaming for Vladar more, uh, you're going to have to wait. And the other one is Pelche. He is not going to play tonight, and I wanted to ask you that right there. You know, everybody's losing their mind that Pelche's not been given a chance as of yet on this road trip. My thought is, well, who's he going to replace? You know, everyone wants to say Lucic, but he's actually been pretty good of late. You tell me your theory on, you know, whether he should be inserted in this lineup or you understand why he won't be anytime soon unless this team gets an injury or starts losing games. Well, the biggest reason that he's probably still on the outside looking in is they're actually playing, you know, reasonably well. There have been some hiccups along the way, but you touched on the numbers right off the top. They have points in 17 of their last 21 games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, – and like you said, in the Western Conference, only Winnipeg has had more points since the start of December. So this team's, you know, as much as it hasn't been perfect at all times, and they're clearly some, you know, some blemishes they need to be cleaned up in their game, but overall they're – piling up points and then the regular season that's what matters so um i don't know that they want to tinker too much with the lineup without injury i'd like to see peltier get in i think he'd be a fun player get feel for the nhl he's been terrific in the american league daryl sutter made an interesting comment recently i think he was i think it was in regards to walker doer about you know being an undrafted player who went to cut his teeth in the american like every player should and uh I don't know that that was a comment about anybody else. And Peltier's been playing there too, so I don't think it was directed specifically at him. But it does give you a little insight into his mindset about how he feels that guys need to learn the pro game at that level and have a good taste of it before they're ready to step up to the NHL. So, um, you know, hey, he's Daryl's been a successful coach for a lot of reasons. He's not stupid. So when he thinks it's right, we'll see him. But, uh, you know, I'm just as excited as everybody else when that does happen to see him, uh, you know, put on the Flames jersey and get out there and play a National Hockey League game. Yeah, yeah. It, it may be a while, but uh, – and in the meantime, he's on the road with these guys. They had their rookie party on Saturday. I'm sure he had a pretty good yep. time, and I don't he's know if he had NHL chip paycheck. in. He's, he's getting NHL money while he's up, so, you know. That's right. He's probably getting it down there, too, So, in my guess. But, uh, yeah, so he's getting the experience of the National Hockey League and all the perks that go with it, be around the team. It's never a bad thing, even if you're not playing, right, just sort of – Mm-hmm. Get the feel for you know the the day to day grind and and what it means to be a pro at this level uh, in every aspect. I mean, you think about it; the games are only two and a half hours a day. It's the other, you know, twenty uh, twenty two and a half hours of the day that you know you sort of got to figure out the the dynamics of being on a National Hockey League roster. And he's getting a taste of that, even though he hasn't stepped on the ice yet. So, last year this team at this point in time, went on a 14-1-1 run. And I'm not saying they're going to yeah. do the same thing, but they've already started on a pretty good run here, points in five straight. Uh, and they, But they did it last year with the best line in hockey, no question about it. This year, I would argue that this team doesn't even have a top line. And, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. They're doing it by committee. But 
I'll throw to you. Which is the top line on this team? <laughs> That's a good question. Somebody brought that up today, <laughs> and I was thinking about it. I think you've got sort of 1A or 1B or – uh, you know, in terms of CAD, I, I would say any line that has a Elias Lindholm at center is your top line, right? But um, those two lines are pretty good. I think Backlund's line is, it would be considered your third line based on uh, on the role that they're asked to play on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're really the checking line uh, for the most part. That You know, th- there's not a ton of line matching. Daryl Sutter doesn't believe in it, especially if you can get caught with your pants down if you're trying to, to be overly fancy with that stuff. But um, I think you, you slot the back line at number three, and then you can flip flop, you know, Kadri or Lindholm. Although, I like I said, I think I go with Lindholm. If Lindholm's centering a line, that's your number one line. But uh, that's not a bad problem to have. I, I think it was even their expansion year. They never had a top line either, but they had, you know, three second lines and a really good fourth line, right? And they were able to just keep teams back on their heels with depth. So the makeup of this team this year is definitely different than it was last season when they had arguably the best line in the entire league. Um, they don't have that luxury anymore, but they probably they have much better depth down the middle. Cadre, I think, has been a nice addition. And I mentioned this one uh, when he signed in Calgary, that that addresses a big hole on this team. Like, you think about the last season into the playoffs, their bottom two centers in the third and fourth lines were um, Callie Yarncroke and Trevor Lewis. And Yarncroke hadn't played much center for a number of years, and Lewis is a winger. Right, so they really mm-hmm. addressed a, an important position, and in doing so, I think what you wind up with is uh, two good lines that uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, either one could be considered your number one. The uh, the question gets asked a lot, I think, when you know I'm talking with buddies or, or or people just about the Flames, the most important player from now till the end of the regular season. I don't think, in my mind, it, it, you can't go. It's the goaltender because it's just the most important mm-hmm. position, and he hasn't been playing as well as he has in the past. Do you agree with that? But also, if it is a, if it is a position player, who would you put as the number one most important player from now till the end of the season? Because to me, it's a very obvious answer. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to guess what your answer is in a second, but I'm going to say that my answer is obviously the goaltending, right? I mean, it's the only. There's no other like. What's the other comparable in sports? Uh, quarterback. To, to an NHL goal to a quarterback, but they're only on the field half the time, right? Um, yeah, it's true. And you could, say a base, you could say a baseball pitcher can control a game probably as much as a goaltender can, but a starting pitcher only plays every five games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's the most important position, right? Um, you're on the ice the entire time. Now you're playing defensively. You're not trying to score goals in that position, but uh, you know, clearly is the most critical position i think jacob markstrom's game is certainly improving but it's not where it was when he was you know one of the best in the league last season i think he can still get there and the fact that the flames are still piling up points in spite of the fact um that markstrom's game is right now a work in progress treading in the right direction um is an encouraging sign so yeah goaltending clearly the most important position i'm going to suggest that your thought though outside of that is that it's number 10 yep i wrong 100 percent yeah. Jonathan Huberdeau is, is such a key to me from now to the end of the season. If he can get any semblance of his game, and I think he has been. I, I'm assuming you see it the same way. I think he's got 13 points in his last 13 games. He's on a, he's getting better. I totally agree. Um, you know, it's been a huge adjustment for him. Um, it just We talked earlier about a guy like Peltier getting to experience the league, right? 
um, in terms of what goes on around the games and the practices and the travel and everything else that happens with it, just the routine of being in the NHL. You think about, you know, Huberto with the way that all happened in the summertime, you know, take away the fact that it was involved, you know, he's making a lot of money and he's a professional athlete, but have the exact same circumstances happen for a guy who works as a lawyer, you know, and all of a sudden out of the blue, he gets transferred to go play in a different city. Um, You know, all the, upheaval that happens with that having to find a place to live and move and short order get right into training camp like he did or right back to work you know i could imagine it would take a while to feel comfortable so i'm not surprised um with the way that it went down he wasn't expecting it and then he gets traded um that it's taken a while to settle in the other thing that's been a big adjustment i don't think this is a secret is the flames play a much more structured system than florida does it was really a wide open um you know style of play it was and they, they, they had some success in the regular season, but none in the playoffs down there playing that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he could, he, it was an open palette. He was free to do what he wanted to in terms of creativity and offense. Now he's got to figure out how Daryl wants him to play. I don't think it's that complicated, but you got to get comfortable with the system and then try and sort of, you know, once you're there, you can start coloring outside the lines a little bit, but the first part is learning uh, structurally how this team plays and I feel like he's there now he's starting to get to the point where he is feeling more comfortable and we're going to see more of that creativity that we all know that he has creep into his game uh, because he's too good a player uh, to not you know to, to, to not have an impact on a regular basis and you touched on the numbers it's starting to happen we're starting to see him make passes that uh, we know he can make and you know that's really encouraging because up until this point like I mentioned, as expected, there's been a big adjustment period. And um, much like we're talking about Markstrom, the Flames are still chipping away and piling up points. And uh, as his game comes along, I think the same can be said about Jonathan Huberto, and that can only make them better over the course of the last, you know, little less than 50% of the season. I think if, you know, the, once he starts to roll um, offensively, and I think we're seeing signs that it's coming, uh, look out, this team could be very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, no one's suggesting they're going to have a top line that comes anywhere close to what they had last year. But uh, if they can have a definitive number one line that's acting as such, uh, I think it just takes this team to a whole other level. Um, Speaking of top line from last year, uh, a week from tonight, uh, a familiar face will be returning to Calgary for the very first time since he uh, left at the 11th hour. And I'm just curious, everyone's got an opinion and a theory on how he's going to be received by the crowd. Your thoughts on the return of Johnny Gaudreau next Monday? I think uh, they cheer the uh, tribute video, and then they boo him the rest of the time. That's my like, like Like Kachuk. Like Kachuk. Kachuk was yeah. different, though, right? Um, because I, I think fans appreciated that he told the team, listen, after, you know, assuming you're going to give me a qualifying offer, I'm not signing after next season. And that you know, they said, okay. And then they were able to make a trade that, you know, is a blockbuster um, mm-hmm. where Gaudreau, I think left them at the altar when they thought they had him signed that, that parts, and I, you know, listen, we talked to Johnny since then we were in Columbus, you know, he's a, he's a good young man. Like I have no issue with him at all. Personally. I just think he was really torn and the way he handled that thing, quite frankly, was a mess, right. Um, mm-hmm. For everybody involved. So, um, but, so there's a different taste in the mouths of Flames fans with him, I think, than there is with Kachuk. Having said that, he brought a lot of fans into the building and brought a lot of fans out of their seats during his time in Calgary. He was a dynamic player, one of the most exciting guys in the league, scored that huge goal in Game 7 against Dallas in the playoffs last season in overtime. Um, there's a ton of reasons why uh, Calgary fans are appreciative for 
the years that he spent in Flames colors, and I think that that should be shown when he comes back. And then you can blow him the rest of the game. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll do what you want. You pay, you, you pay to get into the, into the building. But, uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau was a dynamic, exciting, uh, talented uh, player um, for a long time for the Calgary Flames, and that I don't think should go unnoticed. Yeah. By the way, he's here and, tomorrow. And I, in in Nashville, it's a makeup game, like one of the one of those games that got uh, postponed oh, because of the flooding cool. earlier this season. Yeah, so the Blue Jackets are here to play the Predators tomorrow. Just an FYI. So. I wonder if that means Johnny's here tonight. I have to check the schedule. I'm sure he'd be here tonight, and of course he'll come to the game because he wants to see all his friends. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> he'll probably be sitting by you. I wouldn't be surprised. He, yes, my old chum on. Johnny Gaudreau and I will get caught up. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, listen. We just we got to run in a couple a couple more. This is an interesting matchup to me, and, and having never missed a, a, a trip to Nashville is whenever I can help it. Um, I'm always fascinated. The Flames have a great record when coming to Nashville against all odds, because we know Saturday was the rookie party for the the boys, and I I'm sure they had one heck of a good night here in Nashville, as they as they should. They won a big game on Saturday against Dallas, then jetted over here and, and had a great night. Anyway, I I, I ask you. Do you remember that last meeting when they played Nashville late last season? There were fights. It went into overtime. It had a little bit of everything. And then we all sat in the media room. Well, I think you guys were on a jet going to the next destination. But I sat in the media room and we watched. It was going to be determined who were gonna, if the Flames were going to play Nashville or Dallas in the playoffs. And there was an e-bug situation, I think, in Anaheim against Dallas. And, and because the e-bug came in and Dallas won there, that dictated that Dallas was the team Calgary played in the first round as opposed to playing Nashville, which I think most of the reporters were hoping it would be. Do you remember all that and how it all unfolded? I do, but there, there, there was one more thing that happened because Nashville it could have still been Nashville had they won their last game. They played in Arizona on the last game of the last day of the regular season. They had a 4 nothing lead and lost oh, to the Coyotes right. 5-4. Yes, so, yeah, so when it was 4 nothing Nashville, we just were like, we're back in Calgary at this point going, wow, we're going to be Booking playing Nashville. Flights. I think we were flying back from Winnipeg because they went and played in Winnipeg. And we saw the score on the, uh, when we got on the plane, then we got off and they lost. Uh, well, I guess it's Dallas. So, yeah, because they were up 4-zip. And the other thing that happened that game, first of all, going back to that game the last time they played here, it was on, um, I wrote the date down here because I wanted to, April 26th. One of the, I will say this. At least two of the best regular season hockey games I've ever called have been the Flames in Nashville. We have the one a few seasons ago on Halloween when Kachuk yep. scored that unbelievable goal between his legs in overtime mm-hmm. with one second left. And don't forget, he Amazing. also scored in the last minute of regulation to tie it up. And then the game last year, you talked about it. There were fights. Lucic fought Borowiecki. Um, Branson fought Jeannot. There were huge, huge hits. Remember Lucic hit Matt Duchesne? And his, it was yeah. like a cartoon. His helmet popped straight up in the <laughs> That's air. That's right. And yes. stutter, it looked like, like it was something you'd see on, on Looney Tunes. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kachuk scored with under a second to go to tie it up. They had to go to review to make sure the puck crossed. That might have been one-tenth of a second. I can't even remember. It was something like that. And then they wind up winning in overtime. And on top of that, Yuji Saros got hurt in that game and was done for the year. And they had to go to big save day for the rest of the regular season and into the playoffs. And we all know how that went against Colorado. It was uh, four games and sayonara, you know. So, um, oh, wow. There, that, that, yes. that game 
we're going to touch on that game again because I'm telling you, that was one of the best games I've called uh, the, the last time they played in this building. And it had so much intensity. John Hines touched on it today, the coach of the Predators, because it was a potential and a very real, realistic at that time first-round playoff matchup. So they went at it mm-hmm. like it was a playoff game, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. That was a great game to call. And, and it's funny because I asked Sutter just, last, I think, last week about intensity if you when you're playing a team back to back in these little mini mini series like we had in St. Louis and he said and and he's 100% right he said there's no intensity in 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 regular season games very little intensity in regular season games it's not until the playoffs where we see intensity so those rare glimpses of intensity uh, like the ones we've seen here in Nashville are just so they stand out because they're they're so rare and they're such a treat so I I don't know what to expect if we can expect that tonight I mean we're what are we, game 44 or something? It, I'm not sure the significance is there, but I can tell you that the Nashville Predators certainly need to string together some wins soon or they're in danger of falling out of the wild card race. Yeah, they're in 11th right now, and they're seven points back at Calgary. Flames are seven. Preds have lost three in a row. They got prob- They have problems on their, in their lineup. They're, they're, they've definitely got holes, but they've got a terrific goalie. UC Saros is unbelievable. You know, he's a throwback to the, you know, he's, he's the anti-sort of modern goalie. Six foot five, and you know, a shorter guy who is extremely agile in the crease, and is a big part of the reason why they've been able to get the wins they have this year. He's uh, he's one of the best. He's going to the All Star game as well, so um, that'll be a tough test tonight for the Flames. But uh, the you know, if recent games in this building between these teams are any indication, it should be a good one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, my friend, thank you so much. We'll see you down at the rink in a couple hours. Here, appreciate your time. That's Rick Ball, everybody. Thanks you. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Eric. Okay. All right. We are uh, out of time here. The Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses, employs Albertans, and contributes to the economy. Visit horses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. We'll do it all again next Monday, and that'll be the day that Johnny Gaudreau returns to Calgary uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets, so there'll be a lot to talk about then. I'll see if my buddy Johnny wants to join us uh, for the show uh, we, I, as a matter of fact, I joke, but as a matter of fact, I think we may probably bring his uh, press conference live during the show uh, next Monday because that'll be right around the time when he addresses the media for the first time uh, since he returned to Calgary. So we can look forward to that. All right. Thanks to David Amber. Thanks to Rick Ball. You've been listening to the Eric Francis Show, and I always appreciate you tuning in and joining us. You're listening to Sportsnet 960, The Fan.